Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. First, your environmental headlines. With Indiana native turtles going through nesting season, Hoosiers may find many of the little creatures out on the road. All native turtles, endangered species, and eastern box turtles are regulated in Indiana. They are protected and cannot be collected from the wild or kept as pets. When you come across a turtle, it's best to simply observe and enjoy the shelled reptile in its natural habitat. The Indiana Department of Natural Resources reminds Hoosiers that wild turtles do not make good pets. Wild turtles can live a long time, some species outliving their owners. They can also be messy and have special husbandry needs. Indiana's turtles face numerous conservation challenges, including habitat loss, illegal collection for the pet trade, and the destruction of turtle nests by predators. Seven of the state's 16 turtle species are listed as state endangered or of special concern. Turtles that are found crossing roadways may be moved off the road as long as conditions are safe. The turtle must be moved in the direction it was traveling. When a turtle is moved to a new area, it is displaced from its home range and removed from its population. Relocating turtles to new areas can leave them disoriented and spread new diseases to that area. AEP Energy and Global Energy Generation announced May 4th that they have signed a long-term renewable energy purchase agreement for the Mammoth Solar Project in Indiana. Mammoth Solar One, a 480-megawatt direct current solar energy project, is the first phase of a bigger project. The Mammoth Solar Project covers more than 12,000 acres in Stark and Pulaski County in northern Indiana. Mammoth Solar One is expected to begin construction during the fourth quarter of 2021 and reach commercial operation by the second quarter of 2023. Mammoth One will displace 40,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions and save 1 billion gallons of irrigation well water annually. Reduced farming chemicals and fertilizers, along with allowing the land to be fallow, will only enhance the quality of the land for future generations. The investment of hundreds of millions of dollars into the community will create jobs and uplift the economy. Elkhart County is the chosen site for a planned $120 million solar farm. Kansas City-based renewable energy company Savion would create 150 jobs during construction and provide a $15 million boost to the property tax base over the facility's 30-year lifespan. The site is about seven miles southeast of Goshen in Benton Township. 
It was chosen because of its proximity to large transmission lines that have available capacity. Quote, We also found landowners who were willing to participate in the project, and you know, having willing landowners is very important for the project as a whole. End quote. Project Director Sarah Mills said during a community outreach session last week. The 100-megawatt facility would generate enough electricity to power nearly 19,000 homes. Plans call for it to be operational in 2023. Could solar power be on the horizon for schools just north of Crawfordsville? An energy company has made the pitch for ground-mounted solar panels at Summer and Pleasant Hill Elementary and North Montgomery Schools, where the district would get the most bang for its buck, reducing energy costs. Missouri-based Effluent Energy, which has overseen projects in 17 states, would develop, engineer, construct, and own the 14.4-megawatt systems using local contractors and shop out the financing. North Montgomery would own the power. Quote, At no point are we ever going to ask a dime from the school district. End quote. Commercial energy manager Kurt Hayward told school board members in an informational presentation this week. The district asked members to further discuss the proposal at June's board retreat. The two schools together would cut their combined energy costs by a little more than $90,000 in one year, according to the company's analysis of the district's energy bills. The district would be asked to commit to the systems for 30 years. Influence selected the schools based on the amount of the savings the panels would generate, Hayward said. He said the company plans to undertake 75 to 80 school solar projects this year. Hayward has met with a district in Bloomfield, so far the only other Indiana school under consideration. Quote, from the presentation and what you're saying, I can't believe you don't just have schools beating your doors down, end quote. Board member Jared Zachary said during an extensive question and answer session following the presentation, Influent also provides a solar energy curriculum for the students who could keep track of the energy savings on a screen in the school lobby. The Indiana Environmental Reporter says the just-concluded legislative session wanted to make sure that Indiana does not resemble California. Beginning July 1st, local governments in Indiana will have much less power to enact regulations that would reduce their contributions to climate change. Governor Eric Holcomb signed into law House Bill 1191, authored by Representatives Jim Pressel and co-authored by the Chair and Vice Chair of the House Utilities, Energy, and Telecommunications Committee, Representatives Ed Soliday and Ethan Manning. The law takes away the power of local governments to prevent the use of fossil fuels and to enact other energy-saving and energy-producing regulations. Public Law 180, as HB 1191 is now legally known, prohibits local governments from enacting codes, ordinances, or land use regulations that would stop utilities from selling or customers from purchasing liquid petroleum gas or other fuel based on the energy source. The law also prohibits local governments from requiring existing buildings or other structures to have energy-saving or energy-producing components, designs, or types of material, or to prohibit the same that does not meet a standard for energy-saving. 
Another facet of the law singles out natural gas for protection. Cities and towns are not allowed to ban or restrict the sale, installation, or use of natural gas-powered home heating equipment, home appliances, grills, stoves, and other products. Quote, This bill will hamper the plans of any Indiana cities that might have aspired for economic development, talent attraction and retention, and or quality of life reasons to be at the national forefront of being an all-around environmentally sustainable city, end quote said Hoosier Environmental Council Executive Director Jesse Carbonda. The bill's main author has said the bill was intended to prevent Hoosier communities from imposing restrictions on natural gas, as cities in California and other states have done. Representatives Cory Bush and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have introduced the Green New Deal for Cities Act of 2021 to the U.S. House of Representatives. The legislation would provide $1 trillion in funding to local, state, tribal, and territorial governments to help address the climate crisis and create jobs in the process. Cities are major contributors to the climate crisis. According to United Nations Habitat, 78% of the world's energy is used in cities, and cities produce over 60% of greenhouse gas emissions. Cities are also vulnerable to the risks of the climate crisis, like flooding from rising sea levels, extreme storms, heat waves, and water shortages. The Green New Deal for Cities Act would provide funding for climate and environmental justice projects like bike lanes, electric vehicle charging stations, clean water infrastructure and wind power, monitoring air quality, testing soil and water for contaminants, and phasing out fossil fuel infrastructure. The act would also prioritize community voices over fossil fuel industry interests, with no more expansion of fossil fuel infrastructure through false climate solutions like carbon capture. The act would also support housing stability by requiring governments to work with tenant groups to prevent displacement in communities receiving funding and would create jobs and prioritize equitable and local hiring conditions, labor agreements, and wage requirements. The journal Frontiers in Environmental Science recently published a new soil study warning that agricultural pesticides are playing a significant role in the loss of invertebrates and calling for stricter regulation in the U.S. to preserve soils and soil organisms. The researchers from the University of Maryland and nonprofits Friends of the Earth and Center for Biological Diversity say the study is the largest and most thorough inquiry ever into the impacts of agricultural pesticides on soil organisms. Nathan Donnelly, a science at the Center for Biological Diversity and a co-author of the study, said, quote, Below the surface of fields covered with monoculture crops of corn and soybeans, pesticides are destroying the very foundations of the web of life, end quote. He went on to say the level of damage is much greater than he thought it would be before doing the research. How pesticides can harm invertebrates receives a lot less attention than how they can harm pollinators, mammals, and birds, he said. Pesticide companies are a major obstacle to the adoption of farming practices, such as composting and cover cropping, that build healthy soil ecosystems and to the reduction or elimination of pesticide use, according to another co-author of the study. 
Thanks to the climate crisis, the National Weather Service research station on Cape Cod is having to be abandoned and raised because it's about to slip into the Atlantic Ocean. Twice a day for the past half century, researchers released a weather balloon from the station to assess temperature, humidity levels, and wind speeds, but no longer. On March 31st, the few workers who ran the station had to evacuate. The weather station used to have a buffer of about 100 feet of land behind a bluff that dropped into the ocean, but severe storms last year accelerated erosion. On some days, six feet of land was lost. Andy Nash, the National Weather Service's head meteorologist, said that now that the building is just 30 feet from the edge of the cliff, his greatest concern is that researchers looking up at a weather balloon upon its release would fall over the ledge and plunge to their deaths. Although Cape Cod has naturally changed shape for centuries, rising seas and stronger storms that the climate crisis have produced have accelerated the speed of change. A new weather station will be built on Cape Cod, but it will be on higher ground farther from the coast. The Environmental Protection Agency moved on May 4th to sharply reduce the use and production of powerful greenhouse gases central to refrigeration and air conditioning. This is part of the Biden administration's larger strategy of trying to slow the pace of global warming. The agency proposed to regulate hydrofluorocarbons, or HFCs, a class of human-made chemicals that are thousands of times more potent than carbon dioxide at warming the planet. The proposal is the first significant step the EPA has taken under President Biden to curb climate change. The move is also the first time the federal government has set national limits on HFCs, which were used to replace ozone-depleting chlorofluorocarbons in the 1980s, but have turned out to be a significant driver of global warming. More than a dozen states have either banned HFCs or are formulating some restrictions. Quote, this is incredibly significant, end quote, said Kristen N. Tadonio, a senior climate and energy advisor for the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development, an environmental nonprofit group. Quote, by taking fast action on these short-lived climate pollutants, of which HFCs are the most potent, we can buy ourselves some time and actually help avoid climate tipping points, end quote, she said. The regulation would begin to take effect in 2022 and would gradually reduce the production and importation of hydrofluorocarbons in the United States by 85% over the following 15 years. About 15% of HFCs would still be permitted because they have critical uses for which alternatives do not yet exist. On May 8th, the Biden administration laid out its vision for conserving 30% of America's land and waters by 2030. The America the Beautiful report, released by the Departments of Commerce, Interior, and Agriculture, includes few specifics but conceptualizes how the U.S. can better protect and restore biodiversity, improve the resilience of ecosystems to climate change, and increase the accessibility of the nation's parks and wilderness areas. The document devotes significant attention to social justice, 
noting the government's campaigns that forced indigenous peoples from their lands and discriminatory policies that have limited opportunities for communities of color and low-income communities to access natural spaces. Quote, Together, these three issues pose grave risks to the abundance, resilience, and accessibility of the natural resources that are at the foundation of America's economy and well-being. These challenges, however, also present opportunities, end quote, states the document, which goes on to point out the potential for the 30 by 30 plan to create job opportunities and drive more sustainable economic growth while combating the effects of climate change and environmental degradation. Members of the U.S. House of Representatives have a chance to do something about a class of toxic chemicals that's contaminating drinking water around the country. The chemicals, called PFAS, which stands for perfluoroalkyl and polyfluoroalkyl substances, aren't naturally occurring. They're made in a laboratory and used in everyday products like nonstick pans, food packaging, fire suppressants, and stain-resistant fabric. Because they don't break down naturally and leach into our food and water, they're known as forever chemicals. Members of the House now have the opportunity to co-sponsor the PFAS Action Act of 2021. The act would set enforceable regulations to limit PFAS compounds in drinking water. It would also designate these chemicals as hazardous substances, require the EPA to place limits on the industrial discharge of PFAS, provide $200 million annually for water treatment, require PFAS health testing, and hold the largest polluters accountable for cleaning up their PFAS contamination. Long-term exposure to PFAS chemicals is associated with birth defects, thyroid disease, weakened immune systems, liver problems, and some cancers. The corporations that produce PFAS chemicals have known about their dangers for decades and have suppressed reports on their health risks. The Center for Biological Diversity filed a legal petition with the Biden administration May 6th requesting mandatory speed limits for vessels off California to protect the whales. Vessel strikes are one of the leading causes of death for blue fin and humpback whales off California's coast. The petition to the Natural Marine Fisheries Service asks that the current 10-knot voluntary speed limits through whale habitat be made mandatory. It follows a federal lawsuit the Center and Allies filed in January challenging the Fisheries Service and the U.S. Coast Guard for failing to meet an Endangered Species Act requirement to consult on ways to reduce the number of whales struck by vessels along California's coast. Quote, too many whales die from fish strikes off California, and the solution is mandatory speed limits, end quote, said Catherine Kilduff, an attorney at the center. Quote, we know that slowing vessels down gives whales a fighting chance to avoid being hit, and we know voluntary speed limits just aren't working. Speed limits make our freeways safer, and they'll make our shipping lanes safer too, end quote. Five dead whales have washed ashore in the San Francisco Bay area since March 31st, with at least three, including an endangered juvenile fin whale, confirmed or suspected to have been killed by vessel strikes. 
Another dead fin whale was draped across the bow of a container ship as it entered San Francisco Bay in 2018. Bees and other pollinators are in severe decline throughout the world because of pesticide use and habitat loss. However, several Dutch cities have found ways to keep their urban wild bee population stable with bee hotels, bee stops, and honey highways. Amsterdam has helped bees by creating bee hotels, each one a collection of hollow plant stems or thin bamboo stalks that provide spaces for solitary bees to nest. The city has also cut down on grass in public spaces in favor of planting native flowering plants and has halted the use of chemical weed killers on public lands. The city of Utrecht has been installing bee stops, which are bus stops, the roofs of which are planted with native plants that attract bees. Since 2018, the city has installed 316 bee stops. One person has created the concept of a honey highway, which entails municipalities planting wildflowers along highways, railways, and waterways. The honey highways provide food and shelter for bees. Vincent Kalkman, a Dutch entomologist, pointed out that Netherlands is urbanizing rapidly and the Dutch government is building thousands of new homes in the coming years. He said, quote, We have to think of ways in which we can preserve nature alongside the increasing number of cities, end quote. A federal appeals court on April 21st dealt the final blow to former President Donald Trump's attempt to open nearly 130 million acres of territory in the Arctic and Atlantic oceans to oil and gas drilling. In 2017, Trump signed an executive order aiming to undo an Obama-era ban on fossil fuel exploration in that territory, but a federal judge in Alaska ruled the move unlawful in 2019. Though the Biden administration appealed the ruling, President Joe Biden revoked his predecessor's 2017 order shortly after taking office, rendering the court case moot. On Tuesday, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed to dismiss the Trump administration's appeal. Eric Graff of Earth Justice, which represented a coalition of advocacy groups that challenged Trump's order, said in a statement that, quote, we welcome today's decision and its confirmation of President Obama's legacy of ocean and climate protection. As the Biden administration considers its next steps, it should build on these foundations, end fossil fuel leasing on public lands and waters, and embrace a clean energy future that does not come at the expense of wildlife and our natural heritage, end quote. When marine biologist Daniel J. Madigan was working on a research project around Isla San Esteban, Mexico, he heard rumors of illegal shark poaching occurring off the Gulf of California. At the time, eight fishermen illegally caught and killed as many as 14 great white sharks, Hakai Magazine reported. After contacting the poachers and examining the shark teeth they had collected, Madigan, from the University of Windsor in Ontario, Canada, was able to determine that four of the 14 sharks were juveniles, and almost half could have been mature females. Surprised by the findings, Madigan and his colleague, University of Delaware assistant professor and shark specialist Aaron Carlyle, compared their findings with a NOAA report that estimated the adult female mortality rate for the entire eastern Pacific was around just two sharks annually. When they saw these mortality numbers didn't line up, 
The researchers realized there was a harvest of a large-bodied, protected species that has been largely hidden from researchers and managers, they wrote in their findings, published in Conservation Letters. Actually, there are huge takes of sharks in the eastern Pacific. Even in the Galapagos Islands, there is shark fishing in the sanctuary, mostly by boats from China. They usually just take the dorsal fin and return the shark to the ocean. The shark dies. This type of fishing can be stopped by requiring all fishing vessels to carry equipment to track the ship. The automatic identification system is an automatic tracking system that uses transceivers on ships and is used by vessel traffic services. Satellites can then detect vessel signatures. For a variety of reasons, ships can turn off their transceivers. What is needed is the authority to track fishing vessels constantly, and if they enter a sanctuary area, authorities can seize the vessel. Thus far, the fishing lobby has prevented this step. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. The Monroe County Public Library is beginning their summer hiking club with a hike to the Pate Hollow Trailhead at the Paintown State Recreation Area on Wednesdays from 2 to 3 p.m. on Zoom. Take your hike and then share your photos, recordings, and experiences on Zoom. Register at mcpl.info calendar. Take a hike at Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Saturday, May 15th, from 1 to 4 p.m. Meet Travis Dunn, the district forester, at the Visitor Center. You will hike and learn about Indiana's native trees while enjoying nature. You will also have the opportunity to see and take photos of a stand of bald cypress trees. Social distancing is required. Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area will be having a survival skills workshop on Sunday, May 16th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meet Bill Sperlin of Sullivan County Master Naturalists at the Visitor Center to learn safety tips for outdoor recreational activities and basic survival skills. Topics will include exposure to elements, water purification, fire starting, essential gear, and much more. Social distancing and face masks are required. You must register at survivalskills underscore goosepondfwa.eventbrite.com. The Wild and Scenic Film Festival, hosted by the Indiana Forest Alliance, will take place on Thursday, May 20th, from 7.30 to 11 p.m. at the Skyline Drive-In in Shelbyville. Help celebrate the resilience of our communities and the natural world. The event will also feature a raffle, concessions, and kombucha tea. The Nature Sound Series will take place on Friday, May 21st, in the Howard Young Pavilion at Alcott Park, beginning at 6.30 p.m. The theme is Pollinators, with musical guest harpist Erisabeth Gale. Please continue to social distance while attending the concert. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812 334 
1-800-242-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. David Lyman wrote the script and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.